0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Uh, we're going to start, um, I don't know if I necessarily want to call it a series, but uh, it's going to be a few messages tied together. Um, uh, it, it may develop into a little bit of a longer series because, again, it's kind of an important subject matter to cover. Um, but um, uh, we'll get into it in just a second. But Let's go ahead and pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for the time that you have given to us uh, to just come to your word, to study, to learn, to receive instruction. And Lord, I just pray that tonight all of our hearts would be uh, very soft and tender, ready to listen, ready to hear your word. That Lord, this would uh, just be a time where uh, you are our focus, that uh, we just desire to receive instruction from you and uh, be taught by your Holy Spirit. I pray Lord that you just be with me and my voice uh, just help me with this <clears throat> little bit of a cough that's going on, but um, Lord, I just pray you just uh help it and uh can get through uh, the uh the lesson tonight and again, Lord, I just thank you for all that are here, and I do pray for those that that cannot be here, those that are going through uh, some health issues and some trials and some such, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you just heal them up, bring them back to us uh, safe and healthy. And again, Lord, we just uh, thank you for all that you've done for us, and we thank you for the day that we have, and uh, Lord, I pray this time is honoring and pleasing to you. I ask this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13. <clears throat> Jeremiah, chapter 13. <clears throat> A couple of Sundays ago, um, I uh, was talking about something in the Sunday school hour that apparently kind of uh, perked some people's interest, and they started asking some questions. I fielded a few questions about it and um, some other uh, um, kind of uh, trying to to get some of uh, the, the process of what correction is uh, down and things of that nature. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some things about biblical change and what that looks like in our life um you know there's going to be various times in our life where as we go through this world we're going to find things that we are doing that do not match the will of God it's just that's going to be the case uh we're going to find things that uh we may find some sin we may find some pride we may find some uh conditions of the heart that we need to adjust so this is this is kind of a broad based uh, beginning part and, uh, when we talk about biblical change and what that means, uh, we are talking about, uh, change that is enduring, change that is lasting, change that is not a surface, uh, really quick, you know, for the sake of maybe relieving something, but to really get some sort of, uh, um, change that pleases God. Because again, this is what it boils down to, is change is about pleasing God. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But what we find in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 13, and in verse 22, <clears throat> uh, here he is, he's talking to uh, um, uh, the, the, the children of Israel, and he says in verse 22, he says, And if thou say in thine heart, Wherefore come these great things upon me? Talking about all of the the things with the bondage that they were going into. And it says, for the greatness of thine iniquity are thy skirts discovered and thy heels are made bare. And he's saying the reason why uh, everything is being brought to light, the reason why all of these troubles and trials are going on is because of the great sin and iniquity that they were doing. And in verse 23, it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then ye may also do good, excuse me, then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. And here he is, he's talking about how difficult change is. And he's talking about, okay, so if we've gotten to the point of where, if you will, we've, and I'm going to use this kind of parent, you know, kind of in, with the little air quotes, uh, conditioning in our lives, uh, we have to address it and we have to figure out how we are going to go through that change. How do we change what we've done as a form of a habit that is now Really, part of our lifestyle and part of who we are and part of what we do. You know, there are individuals uh, today that, uh, quote unquote, if you will, they say that they have certain lifestyle choices, and uh, there are individuals that are saved out of those lifestyles. They're saved out of those sins, and um, they struggle with it. They struggle with, well, how do I make these changes? And um, you you kind of have to go to some of these and say, look, you know, it's gonna it's not going to be hard, or excuse excuse me, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be something that you're going to have to put some effort into. We've we've become so accustomed to doing that which is wrong that when we're struggling to try to do what is right, we're going to start seeing some some major battles, some major warfare go on, as we were talking about that kind of prompted that mentioning of it the other day in Sunday school. But uh, 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 one thing that we know about what changes and biblical changes is that, that the the goal of it, uh, specifically, <clears throat> uh, it is a, it's a it's a primary action in a biblical sense uh, that that we do to purpose to say I will do that which is right. That's what the change is about. It's changing from one thing to another thing. Now, obviously, we know that that happens in life. Change is, is kind of the, uh, if you will, a given in life. I want you to turn to Job chapter 14 in verse 14. You know, we we, we talk about, uh, um, you know, receiving our new bodies uh, over there. We, we were talking about it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, uh, talking about when we get our, our, our new glorified bodies uh, that's like Christ. Uh, he mentions that over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. But even Job realized, and and we're talking about this is a a very um, older book when it comes to um, when it was written. But in in Job chapter 14, uh, verse 14, uh, Job saying, he says, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come, till my change come. So what he's looking forward to is the day that he will have a redeemed body. Now, again, you're, you're talking about an Old Testament saint here. An Old Testament saint that when he died, he went to Abraham's bosom and then was released, and then he would go to heaven. So Job's been waiting a while for his new body. Uh, he doesn't have it yet because obviously it hasn't been raised because we haven't seen that that he talks about. Over there in um, in First Corinthians and over in first Thessalonians, but what we do see is he did understand the concept that there is going to be a change and, and, and there is a big change. When we uh, are uh, going to die and we've uh, we've trusted Christ as our Savior, there is going to be a change. This body will be very different than the body that we currently have. Now obviously the Bible says we'll be known as we're known. So that's not an issue or we're not going to all, you know, look like, you know, clones and, and, you know, just be mere copies of everybody. We're, we're going to be known as we're known and we're going to have, you know, uh, 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 obviously similar forms and things of that nature. You have hands, eyes, all those things. Um, but we're not going to be confined to sin. We're not going to be confined to death. We're not going to have, uh, those things that are the curse that has been pronounced upon us because of the sin that was in the garden. So it's going to be glorified body. Still be able to eat, still be able to do those things, talk, touch, things like that. We're not going to be ghosts and stuff like that. And it, it is very interesting. And interestingly enough, if you go over to the book of Joel, um, this is kind of a side note, go over to the book of Joel, <clears throat> Joel chapter 2. Um, and uh <clears throat> so... In Joel chapter Two <coughs> um, I remember one of the first times I read this and talking about the day of the Lord, talking about when uh, he comes back, his second coming. And it says here uh, in uh, verse one in Joel chapter two, if you can find Hosea, you can find that uh, Joel's right next to it. It says, blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong there have not hath not been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even unto uh, the years of many generations. He's beginning to describe some people that are coming during this event during the day of the Lord. Now, just I want you to follow through and see this this does not sound like a normal human body. It says, a fire devoureth before them, and the flame and a fl- excuse me, and behind them a flame burneth the land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. And the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of flame of fire that devoureth a stubble, a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks." Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter in the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible who can abide it. That's quite a description of an army there. That's a kind of a terrifying one. When he starts describing that people are going to have pained faces and if you will, uh, um, that their faces are going to gather blackness because of these things that are, that they're seeing. This is, this is an amazing army to begin to think about of what's coming. Now, Obviously, when we get read there, they're talking about uh, you know they fall on the sword, it shall not hurt them. It's not going to wound them. That is an amazing concept. They won't be able to be killed. And you think about that. You know, people coming back, um, saints coming back with Jesus Christ, that that great and mighty army. The sound of of, of that marching. I mean, uh, number one, you're going to have the, the the presence of Jesus Christ coming which to those that are on the earth that are trying to repel him, that's going to be a terrible, horrific sight. But then behind him, there are all these saints that are coming that are, if you will, armed. They're an army, and they're coming, and they're crawling all over the place, and they're going in, and they I mean, it's a pretty vivid description that Joel paints here. That doesn't sound like humans. It doesn't sound like normal bodies. So we know that there's going to be a change of our human body in our physical sense when it comes to the redemption. But if we go over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see some other things about change. And there is a reason why I'm wanting to mention these things about change. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in 2 Corinthians... Chapter three, it says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And he's talking about something that we're supposed to be conforming to. Now over there uh, in Romans chapter 12, it says we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, but it does say specifically that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So when we look at ourselves and we we, we begin to analyze, we understand that the, the goal is, is that we are to change in such a way that we are Christ-like. That's, that's the standard that we're setting. And it's not a high standard in the form of it can't be done. If we try to do it in the flesh, then yes, it will be impossible. But as we do it, as he said, talks about here, by the Spirit of the Lord... It is possible. So we understand that this is not just some sort of outward change that's going to come about. This is not talking about the change of our glorified bodies and things that we wait for with that. But what we're looking for is a very different kind of change. I'll take a look at chapter 5 of the same, uh, same book, chapter 5 and verse 17. <clears throat> a, familiar, a very familiar verse. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is a change that has occurred. This is not something that is uh, um, uh, if you will a an outward show when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you automatically didn't get a brand new body. you didn't get something that just kind of popped out of nowhere, and all of a sudden all your scars heal and uh, uh you know you lose fifteen to twenty pounds and uh or depending, you gain 15 to 20 pounds to, to be at the right ideal weight. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, all of those things, that, that's not happening. That's not what happened. But there was a very distinct change that occurred, and that change is a spiritual change. So when we talk about change, we need to understand the concept that there is a physical change that is going to occur with our physical bodies. There's also the spiritual change that has occurred that is in us that needs to continue to conform to Christ. And then there's the other change, which is the surface level stuff. If you will, the Pharisaicalism. And those are things that we have to be very cautious about. Turn over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, In verse 15, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So here he is talking to these uh, Galatians that are caught up on the physical. They're caught up on the physical in such a way that they're thinking that that physical uh, that is being taught to them by Judaizers and Pharisees, if you will, is the real change that needs to occur. Look, just because somebody breaks a a physical habit um, doesn't mean that there has been real, genuine change in the heart. We have to understand that. And what he's talking about here, it doesn't matter whether it's circumcision, uncircumcision, the flesh doesn't matter What matters is the new creature that is in us, that new man that God has put there, and that change that has taken place, and how that change is continuing throughout our life. You'll find the Christian life is subject to change. As a matter of fact, if there is no change going on, then I dare say that that's a stagnant Christian life. There has to be a continual desire to adhere to the will of God, analyzing everything that we do, looking at everything, looking for, if you will, sins of assumption, looking for sins that are, are done in ignorance or trespass, things that, that are, are, are done even willfully. We have to take a look at that and, and again, cry out those words, search me and try me, O God. We want him to show us where there is any hidden thing in our heart that is against him. And that that involves everything that we're doing. It's either we're going to do it godly or it's ungodly. There's no middle ground. So we have to understand that concept. It's either going to be done in a godly manner or it's going to be done in our own flesh or in the world's mentality or worse yet, the devil's way. And those are all things that we don't want to do. Why? Because that creates more issues, more problems, more, more, more pain, more suffering. Because we're not adhering to what God's will is. So, uh, uh, again, we go over to Romans chapter 12, and, and again, I'd be remiss if I don't hit this verse, because, again, you know, it's one of my favorites. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> And he says here in verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's the change by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this is this is how this works. So God says right there that, that the worldly mentality has got to be pushed out. A biblical mentality has to be put in, meditated on, thought about. And if you will, focused and purposed to do, and when that happens and occurs, we are going to prove, i.e., demonstrate, show, and if you will, very clearly uh, um, uh, execute it in our life. That's that's the purpose behind it. This is this is what we need to do. Why? Because it has to be this transformed mindset, the renewing of our mind, and that renewing of our mind isn't something that just happens once. It's got to happen again and again and again and again and again and again, as he says, renewed daily. That's a daily thing that has to occur. So when we think about that, obviously we see the physical things, talking about death and glorified body, spiritual, talking about uh, new birth and, if you will, daily sanctification. Uh, Look... When you're saved, I understand the, the, the concept of, yes, you are sanctified. That means you're set aside for God's purpose, all right? But sanctification also involves what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, meaning that you are purposing to use what God has given you for that, that, that purpose. Right. I mean, you, you go over there and they consecrated all those things, and consecration and sanctification are very similar in their nature. But they would go over there and they would sanctify certain things of the temple, and that means that they were used for that specific purpose. You can you couldn't go in there and walk up to the high priest and say, Hey, Aaron, you know what? Um, I'm having some friends over tomorrow. Can I borrow the altar for a barbecue? <laughs> no. No. You couldn't walk over there and say, Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I, for some strange reason... uh Whatever, my goat brought in this really bad smell. I can't seem to get it out. Can I borrow some of the incense that we use to burn on the incense of the altar in the tabernacle? Can I use that inside my tent for a little bit just to kind of get that smell out? That's no. Those are things that we have to understand. Those things were set for that purpose. And when they didn't use them the right way, there were a lot of consequences. So when we talk about sanctification, this is something that is a purpose, daily, if you will, deliberate thing that we have to do. Something that is, it's not, again, just going to fall into us automatically. And the one key thing that we understand about change is obviously, as I said, it's got to be an inner change. It's got to be something that's within the heart. It's got to be something that is is if you will soul and spiritual if it's fleshly and only fleshly, then it's superficial. it doesn't do anything there, there there's nothing really there it doesn't have depth, and we'll get to that in just a minute but real substantial Biblical change, and this is one of the key things that I want us to understand, real, substantial, biblical change requires the Holy Spirit to alter your heart. It requires an alteration. You go in, you get a suit done. Sometimes you need a suit let out. Sometimes you need it let in, (laughs) depending on how how it goes. You know, when you go to certain places where you buy suits, sometimes it says alterations for life if you buy one of their suits. So you can go in there and for some strange reason you decide to grow or sometimes you shrink or you get a little more rotund or maybe you get a little bit more bean polish, whatever it may be. You can go in there and get it altered. So what has to happen with us is there has to be an alteration. There has to be things cut away. There has to be things that are sewn together. There has to be things that are repaired. There have to be things that are set in a specific way for that specific use. So it's the Holy Spirit that goes about and does that by the operation of God, by his hand. He gets in there with the sword of the Spirit and performs that. And gets in there, as he says, piercing, uh, dividing sunder of soul and spirit. As I've said, when when I talk about that verse, it's interesting that he says soul and spirit, not flesh and spirit. Why? Because the soul and spirit, sometimes it's hard for us to discern what's our will and what's God's will. And you know what happens? The word of God comes in and tells us exactly which one's which. And he will identify, and, and, and if you will, get to that point where it says, look, here is what God is telling you to do. Anything outside of that is you are doing it in pride. You're doing it in uh, uh, in rebellion. You're doing it in stubbornness. And those are things that, if again, we identify, we have to change that. We have to change that. All change is a matter of greater or lesser love toward God. All change is a matter of greater or lesser love toward God. So when we think about it, if we're wanting to change for the better, change in a biblical sense, what we're going to do is we're going to develop more of a love for our Savior, more of a love for our Lord, for our God. That's what real change is about. But when we do change that does not involve loving God more, that does not involve seeking and drawing nigh to him, that's not biblical change. That's something else. Or in the book of James, in James chapter 4, it says, draw nigh unto him and he will draw nigh unto you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. What's the purpose? There's got to be a change. There's got to be a purging of the hearts. There's got to be a purging of the minds. There's got to be, if you will, an elimination of those things that cause defilement. So when we get to where, where this point where we're talking about whether or not it's a greater love towards God or a lesser love, sometimes people will make a change that goes away from that, that goes away from God. We've all seen changes like that. More than likely, many of us have done them on our own. What they've done is they've moved us away from who God is. They've moved us away from His will, away from His Word, away from the fellowship of the saints, uh, uh, away from the meditation that we're supposed to have. Uh, uh, move us away from hearing the Holy Spirit of God. Moving us away from from those things. So what we wind up seeing about this is is that we have to have that desire to say, well, it needs if you will, as part of the standard of what real biblical change looks like, that means my love for God has to increase. So when we start looking at change and we start saying, okay, well, I know I need to do biblical change. Well, how do I go about doing it? I need to do it, number one, in a way that is going to make me love God more. That's going to draw me closer to him. If a change doesn't draw you close to God, that's not, that's not a change you want. That's something else. That's something totally else, totally different. So what we realize is, as we go over to Hebrews chapter four and verse twelve, where he talks about the sword of the spirit, he says it's quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, dividing us under soul and spirit. So what, and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So if we're we're, we're having issues. Where it comes to discerning, okay, is this biblical change or is this just change? Remember when the candidates were running around talking about real change? They wanted real change. Wanted change, wanted change, wanted change. And it's like, I get it. People are tired of the status quo. But the change that they wanted was not good change. And the change they wanted was something that was very dangerous for this company, our country. But what we see is that there has to be a biblical change in order for that biblical change uh, to exist. And obviously, as we, as we say here, it has to have a, that love for God, but it also has to be brought about by the Word. It has to be brought about by the Word. Meaning this, <clears throat> you can go and read a bunch of psycho babble. You can watch a bunch of videos on YouTube about whatever it is. But if it's just all humanism, that's just going to make your life even worse. Because now all you're trying to do is elevate your flesh. The more you try to elevate your flesh, the worse it becomes. Why? Because that's not the position of flesh. It's not where it belongs. Why? Because all flesh falls. So we understand that it has to be brought about by the Word. has to be brought about by the Word. It has to be blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. It has to be blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. I know people that will try to make changes according to the Word of God, but they've decided they don't want the Spirit telling them what to do. They're going to take the Word of God, they're going to use it for themselves, and they're going to use it in such a way that they're going to try to improve their life. They're going to take all those things that they find in Scripture, and they're going to try to better themselves and make themselves look good and make themselves, if you will, try to seem like they're pure and they're holy and all those things. You know what that what that looks like? The Pharisees. Because that's exactly what they did. The Holy Spirit wasn't there. How do we know the Holy Spirit wasn't there? Because Jesus Christ's very first miracle is dealing with the the Holy Spirit and the joy because they were a joyless, they were a joyless nation. The Spirit had been long since gone. So when we start looking at that, we need to understand it has to be blessed by His Spirit. It has to get us to grow in Christ and it has to bring us closer to the likeness of Christ. A lot of people will try to mirror someone else. There's all sorts of gurus out there. And and, and look, I'm not picking on anybody and I'm not saying that anything that these guys say is is bad or whatever. But I'll tell you, there are certain individuals that will, will find somebody that sounds really good and they will try to mirror that person. I remember Pastor Blue telling us one time about it, and he had these individuals that he knew. They all went to the same Bible college. And the individual that ran the Bible college at the time, because he was older and he had some lung issues, he would constantly cough. During his sermons, he would (coughs) be you know, clearing his throat, things like that. Guess what all the students thought? That was the power of God. So guess what they started doing in their lessons? In their sermons, as they're preaching, they'd get up there and they'd be like, <clears throat> you know, trying to do their <clears throat> things like that. Because they thought that's what it was, what they were supposed to do, was they copied him. The Spirit of God wasn't anywhere around that. The Spirit of God wasn't anywhere around that. I know people that have tried to copy Spurgeon, I know people that have tried to copy, uh, 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 D.L. Moody, people have tried to copy Billy Sunday, people have tried to copy, uh, people today. In- even in the world, people are sitting there, they try to copy Dave Ramsey or whoever it is that does uh, financial things or anybody else. I don't know who's uh, out there nowadays as is, is big financial gurus that can, uh, quote unquote, grow your wealth and things of that nature. And they try to copy them and they try to do it, you know, uh, uh, you know, exact and, and try to do it in the same way. And they're sitting there saying, no, you, you don't don't do exactly what I'm doing because my situation is different than your situation. You take the principles. So what we do is we take the principles from the word of God and we use those, setting the man that delivers them aside. And what we have to do is we have to look at it and say, okay, is this bringing me closer to the likeness of Christ? He says we're supposed to be conformed to his image. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ that we just talked about in Philippians chapter, uh, or excuse me, in the book of Philippians, specifically chapter two. This, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Those are the things that we have to mirror. Those are the things that we have to follow. So if the change is not bringing us to a point of where it is more Christ-like, then there's an element that's missing. See, change, again, going back to Jeremiah, again, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? Yes, but it's going to be difficult. (laughs) And it'll probably be a painful process. But the end result is, when we have God working in us, then it's not about us. It's not about glorification of flesh. It's about following him. As I always say, there's a big difference between somebody that is a believer and a saved, born-again child of God and somebody that's a Christian. Because I know a lot of saved, born-again children of God that are not living Christ-like. And we all do that. We can find areas in our life where where we miss those marks too. And one of the key things is, above all, in this list, Biblical change must glorify God. It must glorify God. Glorifies ourself, glorifies a program, glorifies uh, uh, somebody else that's helping us, glorifies anything of that. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. <clears throat> so we have to realize all of these elements have to exist for this change to happen. Now that's a lot to have put through. And look, trust me, I understand, we, 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 are, we are in a westernized convenience culture. We rip open the burrito, we put it on the plate, we put it in the microwave, punch in one minute ten seconds, and we wait. We pull it out, we cut it open, we begin to eat it, and then we realize it's too hot, so we have to let it cool. Because we didn't read the instructions where it said let it sit for two minutes. <laughs> We're patient. The Christian life is nowhere near like that. It's not a simple one-step process. It's not a, 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 a something where you have to go through and, uh, you know, you've only got a couple of things. No, it, it is a very, if you will, purposed endeavor. It's going to be a challenge. You have to put effort into it. You have to put effort into it. <clears throat> and above all, I, gotta, I have to say this when it comes to the change. No change is acceptable to God until there is a positive change towards God. No change is acceptable to him unless it is a positive move towards him. Anything else... It's not going to bring glory. Anything else is going to be for ourselves. And why is that? Because here's the, here's the issue. When we start talking about real change, we understand that there's, if you will, two planes in this. There is the horizontal plane, which is what men and women see. And then there's the vertical plane, which is our relationship with God. And if that relationship with God, that vertical plane, isn't what it's supposed to be, we're not receiving the wisdom that is from above, we're not endeavoring to 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 pray to him and to seek his will and to hear from him, and there's no communication there, the change that is in the horizontal plane will only be a temporary, superficial change. And guess what happens? Six months down the road, right back where you started from. Because what we begin to look at is when we look at what real change looks like, we have to take a look at what Jesus Christ said. So let's take a look at a couple of passages. Let's go over to Mark. uh, Yeah, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Let's start there. Mark chapter 4. This obviously shows up in Matthew chapter 13 and over there in Luke chapter 8. This is the parable of the sower and the seed. And in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 3, it says, "Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. It came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately sprang up because it had uh, no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, the other and, excuse me, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. The other fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang uh, sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. So when we start taking a look at this, now obviously there's a lot of concepts that we understand about this. We understand the seed is the word of God because we've talked about this parable quite a bit. But I will say this, when it comes to biblical change, if you notice, there's a few things that are gonna happen. Some people can go out there and they can, you know, their their heart is there and somebody will tell them there will be the Word of God and that change. Word of God just has no effect because it never got there. Never got there. Sometimes it goes in and it's a superficial thing. Just like he's just talking about it on that uh, stony ground, uh um, on that, if you will, hard ground where it had not much earth. What happens? It doesn't have a lot of earth, guess what? It's a it's a change. It springs up and withers away. There was a change. But what was the problem? It was superficial. It never got to the heart. It never got to the heart. It was just right there on the surface. Change is like that. We begin to realize that change can, can, can have that, if you will, that pattern where, again, sometimes the things, we're, we're, you know, we're completely obtuse. We don't get it. It bounces right off of us and sometimes you know there's something we feel a little bit of conviction like hey maybe i should stop that yeah i want to do what's right yeah i want to do what the things that god tells me to do uh and if you will it's uh, it's just simply ultra confessional time and then as soon as they leave the altar withers away that's not real change and sometimes there's change that that, that might be there maybe that got in there But there was no pattern of, if you will, good ground. It was still within the world. I'll tell you this, when you have change that involves the world and involves those thorns of the world, guess what? No fruit. There's no fruit meat for repentance. There's there's nothing there. Oh, it looks like a nice plant. But there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's no fruit of the Spirit. No fruit is being yielded. So what we begin to look at is we begin to look at how change occurs. want you go over to second uh second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and obviously we know verse 16 and 17. These are very familiar passages. But again, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. You know, I look at verse 17, and I, and I look at that, and it says that the man of God may be perfect. And to, to many people, we simply write it off and we say, well, I'll never get there. Well, he just told you to be. Would God ask you to do something that you can't do? God described Job as perfect, yet he had a full Officers dressed down at the end of the book. (laughs) I mean, God was, was, I I dare say, a little heated in his comments towards him. Because that word that God spoke, what did it do? Convicted Job. Said he repented. Now, when we begin to realize that God still called him perfect, upright, and a man that eschewed evil, it kind of gets us to the point of where we realize that we need that word of God to do that. Because that's what these verses are about. Because it starts off with all scripture. All scripture. All scripture. All scripture. This isn't the, you know, there's a bunch of these people running around, these hyper-dispensationalists that run around, and they've got like, you know, two verses in the book of Ephesians that only applies to this church today. <clears throat> or, or, or they limit themselves to the Pauline epistles. Man, what a sad existence. What a sad existence. Because the beauty of the Word of God is not limited to the Pauline epistles. Book of Proverbs, Psalms, Job. I, I don't know why. I, I, for some reason, I keep going back and rereading some things in Deuteronomy for some reason. Deuteronomy is a tough book. Yeah, yeah it repeats a, a bunch of laws, but there's, there, there's a lot of things in there that are good pr- principles that a Christian can live by today. All yeah. All Scripture. It's time we set that foolishness aside. Now, look, I understand. We're not going out there sacrificing bulls and goats and turtle doves and things like that. Why? Because our sacrifice was paid. It was paid on the cross. It's the final sacrifice. There is no sacrifice after that. He said, it is finished. All right, I'm willing to accept that. So I don't abide by those because he fulfilled the law. But he also says... This is what gets me. People get, you know, they pigeonhole themselves over to the Pauline epistles, and it's like, do you not read over there where he says to the Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster and teaches us? Oh, I'm sorry, we just skip over that part? doesn't apply to us. Okay. (laughs) It's all Scripture. Why? Because we need all Scripture to thoroughly furnish. Guarantee you, you walk into some of the uh, some of those people's lives, and it is about as sparsely furnished as a single man that just you know is working all day, and he's got his futon, and he's got a TV with a gaming system, and maybe a microwave, and he's happy. I remember living like that. Went out on my own. I had my futon. I had I had a dresser and some boxes. I had a TV. And my stereo, I was good. That was back in the day when they had these things called stereos. And you would actually, like, you could put cassettes in them. You know what a cassette is? And then a CD. (laughs) You're like, I know. Yeah, those things. I even at one point in time had an LP player with an 8-track in my room. Yeah, I was fancy. (laughs) But, you know... It wasn't thoroughly furnished. Or there's no comfortability. And when we start realizing what he's talking about here, we realize that there is a process. And the very first thing that we see in talking about this is that there's scripture, and by the power of scripture, there's inspiration. There's inspiration. Now when we think about that for a minute, when we think about what God did in inspiring His Word, we have that inspiration right there in front of us. What more inspiration do we need to to, to, to go serve God? What motivation do we need? It's all right there in Scripture. If it's given by inspiration, then that inspiration can obviously come to us, and, and and we realize that, and if you will, it can inspire us to do what is right. That inspire is a spiritual term that deals with the Holy Spirit and deals with the Holy Ghost, as he says, moving in in, in the men of old to write these things down. Do you not think that God can take the Holy Spirit right now and take a passage of scripture and use it to move your heart and to alter your heart into such a way that you are inspired to fulfill the will of God with everything that you have? It can. It absolutely can. But we realize, obviously, as I've said before, it first starts right there. And then we see it's profitable. And this is one of the most important parts about this verse is that when we see it, when it comes to change, is that that is fruit bearing. It is fruit bearing. Real, true, biblical change will bear fruit in your life Because it is being led by the spirit, because the word of God is there, because you're wanting to please him, because you're giving him the glory, because you're seeking his acceptance, not the acceptance of man. Because you're very clearly looking at this and saying, hey, I want a real close relationship with God. That's profitable. That's profitable. You realize that before you trusted Christ as your Savior, your life was unprofitable. You had nothing to account for in the afterlife. Zip, Zilch. You're going to stand in front of a a, a holy and just and mighty God at the great white throne judgment. He was going to look at your works and he was going to say, well, I see a lot of nothing. But then Jesus Christ... You heard that gospel, you trusted him as your savior, new creatures there, profitability starts increasing. Why? Let's just think about this, the profitability that comes from the word of life. You're saved. (laughs) You're saved from death. Okay. You have forgiveness of sins. You have eternal life. You have His grace and His mercy continually throughout your life. I mean, we begin to see that. And those are just some of the things that we have. That's not even talking about the other benefits. The, 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 they can barely even, I mean, you know, time would, would escape us to just sit there and describe that. Each one of us talking about the benefits of God in our life. And how he's demonstrated that. All those things given to us so that we might have glory and honor and praise for him. Profitability. Profitable. But he says it's profitable for Doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what we begin to see with this, with this process of correction and process of change is obviously we see it starts off, you have to have truth. Real change starts with truth. Real change starts with truth. Scripture. If it doesn't start with truth, it's not gonna matter. You know, people always think, well, you know, they think doctrine is some big, heavy thing, like understanding the Book of Revelation in in detail and every single beast and every single thing, and this means that and that and so on. Okay, that's not doctrine. What he's talking about here, it's not limited to just that. They think doctrine is like some prophecy things. Well, that's that's, that's tough doctrine. You know what's tough doctrine? I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to live for the will of God tomorrow. that's a tough doctrine. Let's just be honest. We have to get to the point of where we start thinking about that in that sense. Doctrine is what is taught is truth. And then we go through and we see the next thing, we see reproof. Demonstrating what is right. Demonstration of what is right. When somebody is reproved, they say, that's not the way to do it, this is how you do it. Now well, sometimes there's the rebuke of, don't do that, right? But if we just do, don't do that, and there's no reproof to follow up with it, then we're kind of stopping. Don't do that, do this. Reproving what is right. Reproving that good, perfect, acceptable will of God, right? Romans 12. Reproving it. And then we see correction. Why? Because sometimes we start erroring in different ways that we need to be put back on the right path. Being somebody that, that um has a hobby where where uh where I do target practice and shoot and things like that, you know, there you are and you've you've got the rifle pointed downrange and you're pointing at the target. And you move that rifle just one millimeter. You realize what the impact is greater on down the road. This is, this is, this is an age old sermon illustration. You move it ever so slightly down here at this end. When you're shooting down to distances of a thousand yards, it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So you know what shooters have to do when they're shooting those distances, 1,000 yards? They have a good, sturdy platform. They have a foundation. To be able to hit that mark, they have a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. The more we're like him, the more we'll hit that mark every single time. So correction. And those little changes that we make right now are going to have a huge impact later on in our life. Whether it's for right or whether it's for wrong. A little adjustment now means a big change down the road. A big change. And here he is and he says correction and he says for instruction in righteousness. Righteousness. We need instruction in what right, what is right. How to do it the exact way God wants it done. You go over as an example, he he, he says over there in Ephesians chapter 4, just turn with me and and we'll close with this, but in Ephesians chapter 4, just just as an example of what that looks like, that instruction in righteousness, in Ephesians 4, He says uh, right there. He says in verse twenty nine, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth." How many of us have failed at that? Colossally. <laughs> Moving on, lest we get convicted. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And he says, okay. All right, so don't have corrupt communication. You need to edify. And then somebody says, well, what do you mean by edify? What does that look like? And he says, great. Okay, let's do this. Let's go down here a little bit further. And here's the description. This is what we do. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Those things are moved out of our life and moved out of our conversation and moved out of our vocabulary. And then what happens, here comes this instruction, it says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you're kind, and you're tender-hearted, and you're forgiving the way that God does, again, we're moving towards Christ-like mentality, Christ-like behavior, then guess what happens? We will edify each other. We'll edify each other. You know, and that's the problem. Is is many times we let all those little things creep in. He says all, when he in in verse uh, thirty one, let all. And he says bitterness. Okay, just have a little bit of bitterness. Kind of keeps me warm at night. Nope. Nope. None at all. But you don't know. God does know. That's why he said get rid of it. it shouldn't even be part of our language. It shouldn't be how we communicate. Wrath and anger. Anger is obviously an emotion that we're given. He says up there, be ye angry and sin not. But if we use it with anger in our words in a way to harm and hurt somebody, then Yeah. That needs to be put out. Wrath, where we're just unhinged, as they like to say. Triggered, I guess is the new word. I guess we're not supposed to say that. There's a new word now. That I don't know what it is. I'm not hip in any way, shape, or form, okay? <clears throat> don't follow, don't follow that example. Clamor. Just a bunch of noise. Evil speaking. Anything that's harmful. He says he put it away. Put it away. I remember when my mom would tell us so we got home from school. We were so, you know, happy to be home from school and we'd go and we'd throw our book bags in our room and immediately, you know, we'd get, we'd go in our rooms and we'd whip out our G.I. Joe toys and man, we'd go to town and start playing, right? G.I. Joe was our thing, okay? <clears throat> and, uh, man, we just, you know, we just would just play and play and play and then Mom would inevitably say, hey, it's time for time for dinner. Put away your toys and come and sit down. Depending on how big of a mess it was, it could take a while. But it was always put it away and come sit down. Put it away and have some time of fellowship. Put it away and get some nourishment. Put it away and rest for a minute. I keep thinking about the same thing about putting away. We put all that stuff away, guess what? I guarantee you, you'll have a lot more peaceful life. A lot more peaceful life. Just putting all of it away. Not keeping any of it. And making sure you go to God and say, God, I want all of it gone. Show me where even the smallest bit is. Because it doesn't please you. Small change big effect for jesus christ now next week we'll take a look at a little bit more about this process taking can look at some of the issues that i talked about with the vertical first uh when we start talking about some of the things that christ said talking about biblical change what it has to take into account a biblical change not only takes into account god but it also according to jesus christ takes into account those that are around us our neighbors mankind and we'll start talking about that, Lord willing, next week and uh, get into a little bit more detail about it. But again, like I said, the whole purpose behind it was is I had some people asking some questions about some stuff. And uh, this is just something that I thought, well, let's just put it together. Let's go through it, whether we need it, whether we're not, whether it's apropos at this time or there isn't. This is stuff that we can use in our life one way, shape or form. So that's that's the intent behind this uh, little bit of, a, like I said, I don't know if I want to call it a series or not, depending on how long it lasts, but uh, but it's definitely something we need to, to take a look at so that we can please God with everything that we do. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Brother Mike, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer, please?